Let's go ahead and get started. If you would open your Bible, 2 Peter, the first chapter and the fifth verse. 2 Peter chapter 1 and verse 5. And um, before we get started, let's just take a moment for prayer. Now let's <clears throat> push out the fact that the Cowboys got beat almost as bad as OU did yesterday. Uh, <clears throat> but OU actually pulled one out, so it's kind of a mixture of uh, emotions. Gosh, I hate to talk about emotions. That's second session. Anyway, <clears throat> let's just take a minute for prayer to get ourselves ready to look into the Word of God. Let us pray. <clears throat> Father, once again, we come to you with thanksgiving and joy. We come to you knowing that you're in charge, you're in control of all things. And Father, even though we go through various tests and trials uh, every day and, and every week, Father, we know that uh, we know how it's going to come out, that the victory's already been won and secured, and now you have left us with the opportunities to do the right things in the middle of a crooked and perverted generation. So, Father, I pray today as we look into your word to find out just what you have specified for us to do. I pray that, Father, we'll be able to understand it, we'll be able to remember it, and, Father, that the Holy Spirit will bring it to mind and grant us wisdom to do it properly as we progress through life. So, Father, we commit this day to you. We ask that you would indeed feed us. In Jesus' name, amen. Now, we are <clears throat> at point five. Or in Second uh, Peter 1:5, and we've noticed before this is a series of concentric circles, a target, if you will. The way this is laid out in the Greek is very clear, because they're dative's of sphere. Now, and what it's saying is that we apply something, we apply all diligence. That's the outer circle. That's the outer ring. That's where we start, and then it starts telling us <coughs> that in our diligence. We need to do certain things. Now, diligence involves, and if you take the word spude, spudazo, trace it all the way through Scripture, <coughs> what you find out is there's three main elements of the word diligence. And the first one is zeal. It's something that we really want to do. The second one is to make an honest effort at it. Some people have a great zeal. In fact, Paul talks to the talks to the Jews, they have a great zeal for God, but without knowledge. They don't know what to do, so that's the, the wrong way to approach it. But have a zeal, make an honest effort to accomplish something, and then <clears throat> the third thing is speed. Try to do it as quickly as possible. So that's what we're trying to do. So it says, in the sphere of your uh, having added all diligence. Now that particular phrase means we supply it. The earlier verses says he gave us everything we need for life and godliness. We've already got it. We don't spend our time pursuing it because these are things we already have. So instead, <clears throat> we add the diligence. And then it says, in your faith, abundantly supply the virtue and in the virtue, the knowledge. And so it goes. These are in the sphere of diligence. What do you do? Add faith. And what do you do in the sphere of faith? Add virtue. In the sphere of virtue, add knowledge. And these keep drawing to a tighter and tighter circle. And right in the middle it says, 
the love. That's the love of God. That's the greatest commandment. So our target is to love God. The number two target is brotherly love. Your English says brotherly kindness. It is Philadelphia. It's the word for brotherly love. So the two greatest commandments are the goals that have been established by the Almighty for us to seek in our life. We want to love God even when we don't understand Him and we want to love our neighbor, uh, love one another even when they're not worthy of, of any of it. So that's where we're headed and that's what Peter is talking about. And he's saying that there's certain things that you need to do if you want to get there, <clears throat> supply these things. So Peter has given us the gospel of righteousness in the earlier verses and he's saying now you as Christians this is how we do things how we should do things now <clears throat> we have taken a look at at uh, diligence and we are looking at um, the Christian life begins and ends with faith it begins and ends with faith now <clears throat> we saw a couple of these points last week but Faith in the right object, we know, is the means of salvation. It's the means of salvation from the penalty for sins. So we want to be saved. We want to be delivered from the eternal penalty for sin, which is death, and which meaning separation, if that's what we need faith in the right object. So the Christian life starts and ends with faith. Now, <clears throat> faith is also the means of Christ indwelling. Now, we've talked about this a couple of times because at the moment of salvation, we receive 50 things, at least everything we need for life and godliness. Okay, So how, what do we receive by faith? And so is Christ indwelling us the moment we believe in Christ? No, he's really not. The Holy Spirit indwells us. Okay. He moves into the inside. He indwells us. But Christ is not yet inside of us. We've heard this and called occupation with Christ before. Galatians 4.19 is where it comes from. Where Paul writes the Galatian churches. And he says, My children with whom I am again in labor until Christ is formed in you. So there is an indwelling of Christ. And how does this happen? This is not instantaneous like the filling of the Holy Spirit and indwelling of the Holy Spirit. This is a process that takes a period of time. And that's from Ephesians chapter 3. So that Christ may dwell in your hearts through faith. Now, <clears throat> we see this in several different ways. Colossians 2, 6 comes to mind. As you have received Christ Jesus, so walk in him. So when you start thinking about the different verses, it just makes sense until Christ is formed in us. Now, when he's formed inside of us, what happens? We become mature. We become mature. He doesn't want us to stay like babies, but this is part of the growth that we undergo. What does the Holy Spirit do on the inside? Reveals Messiah. Reveals who he is. So that's part of his role. John chapter 16 tells us that. Now, faith is the means of Christ indwelling wherever he is. He is a greater influence in our life, and he, he is leading us in a much clearer fashion. The third point we left off at is faith is the means of justification. Now, <clears throat> Romans 3.28, here is Paul writing, and the book of Romans is interesting because people get into Romans 10 and confessing with your mouth and all these other things. 
The word for salvation from the penalty for sins in the book of Romans is justification. That's where it starts, chapter 3, 4, and 5. And then he gets into a sanctification, into a phase 2, a Christian life type of thing, and that's chapter 10. This is not about the the, the gospel. It often gets twisted around and, and added into the gospel. But the gospel is salvation by grace through faith. But what happens when we believe in Christ? He gives us the, the justification. He declares us righteous. It's called the imputation of righteousness. We are born uh, without righteousness. So we need righteousness to stand in front of a holy God. Any creature does. Any creature does. To stand in front of a holy God and be able to participate in the blessings that come thereof. So when moment we believe in Christ... He has taken our place on a cross. He has paid for our sins on the cross. We have believed, and he gives us his righteousness. It's called an imputation. Same thing that was talked about to Abraham in Genesis 15:6. And Abraham had believed God, and it was imputed to him righteousness. We need righteousness to stand in front of a holy God when it comes down to the judgment. So faith is the means of justification. So here's the Christian life beginning and ending with, with faith. So <clears throat> what does this mean to me now that, that I have been declared righteous by God? Didn't he say that we've been given his precious and magnificent promises? This is a promise. I don't have to spend my life looking to be justified before God. Because as a believer I've already been declared righteous. That's enough. It's just a waste of time to do that. When you're trying to do that via works, then you're wasting a lot of time in the Christian life. But faith is how we get declared righteous or justified, if you will. Faith is also the means of reconciliation. Now, reconciliation means to make peace. Uh, Romans chapter 5, again, we're talking about very basic theology here. <clears throat> and he says in... 5.1, he says, Therefore, having been justified by faith, okay, we have peace with God through our Lord Jesus Christ. Now, reconciliation means to take two opposing parties and find peace for it. That's what reconciliation is all about. The word itself, the root meaning, alasso, katalasso, apokatalasso, are words that means to change. To change. So, <clears throat> what is what has happened there? We are all born enemies of God. That's a little earlier. In, that's a little later in Romans. Romans 5, 8 and following it says we were all born that way as an enemy of God, but we now have peace with God. So that that is a tremendous statement. So, do I need to go searching for peace with God all my life, or do I need to accept the peace He's already given me? which is the eternal peace that will last forevermore. So these little bitty things down here on this planet, Paul called them momentary light afflictions. These little bitty things down here shouldn't affect the peace that we have with God. We have peace, we have peace. Notice not we will have, we have peace with God through our Lord Jesus Christ, through whom we've also obtained our introduction by faith into this grace in which we stand, and we exult in the hope of the glory of God. So faith is a means of reconciliation to God. 
it's interesting because sometimes there are two warring parties. I know you don't know anybody at war with one another going on right now. We have... Um, uh, what what a what does how is peace going to be established? Reconciliation. That's how it's going to have to happen. So we were at war with God. We were His enemies. It wasn't up to Him to change, because He provided everything that we need for us to change to be at peace. We need to adjust to Him because He is the standard of righteousness. We're not arguing over who's right. The fact is already settled. He's the one that's right. So we're the ones that are wrong. We're the ones that need to make the change. So faith is the means of reconciliation. Then we find that faith is the means of growth and the expression of righteousness from Romans 1.17. It says in Romans 1.17, in it the righteousness of, of God is revealed from faith to faith. As it is written, the righteous man shall live by faith. Hmm. What was verse 16? We've probably got that on a t-shirt somewhere. I'm not ashamed of the gospel of Jesus Christ because it's the power of God to salvation to those who believe. And this is the verse that comes right after that. The righteousness of God is revealed from faith to faith. As we start off in faith and we continue to grow in faith. Because when you start as a believer, you're just a baby. We're, that's how we're... It, the, the analogy is to a human baby. A human baby is not smart. A human baby can't help themselves. A human baby needs help to survive. <clears throat> but they're not supposed to stay that way. And as they grow, what happens? They, they are... Uh, they are growing up, and we as a Christian start the same way. We must be born again, John chapter 3, that famous verse that is in there. But once you believe, you have been declared righteous, you have been reconciled at peace with God, and now righteousness of God is revealed. You've gotten something, you don't know what it is. You don't know what it is. When you get that righteousness, the moment of salvation, what is it? It says, Paul's answering that. It's revealed from faith to faith. As you continue to walk by faith, walk in a worthy manner, you continue to grow and you continue to learn and you continue to learn more about his righteousness. You think the world's trying to redefine the word righteousness? Done a pretty good job at it. Have they not? They've taken things that are very clearly wrong according to the word of God and they've tried to say oh they're all right we can pass legislation that makes these things all right so we can we can we can pass this and so if we pass legislation because we think our government is God then it should be fine there shouldn't be any sin involved <clears throat> right now Michigan is one of those states trying to do crazy things and I'll call them out because they are trying they have a law on the ballot uh, proposition on the ballot that basically gives children, the uh, young men, the right to be castrated without approval of their parents, minors, and young ladies to have hysterectomies without approval of their parents. You can call that whatever you want. Is it going to make it legal? It's evil, whatever you want to call it. It's just flat 
evil. So <clears throat> there's, uh, we, we'll call it out. Do we understand that righteousness? What if you had not studied God's word? And you find yourself an unbeliever floundering about in a society that is starting to call good evil and evil good. Then you end up calling good evil and evil good because you don't know any better. That's part of our problem today is people have walked away from the word and um, basically because they didn't take time to study it for themselves. But our faith is going to be tested. <clears throat> I'm sure yours was this last week. I used to ask, has anybody's face test last week? I don't have to ask. They were all tested. If, if we're not being tested, we're dead. We're being tested to grow up. And James 1, verse 2, one of these great verses. I remember a new, being a new seminary student, and we first book that they gave us to exegete was 1 John. Shortly thereafter, we ended up in James. We move out of out of First uh, John, supposed to be the simplest Greek in the New Testament. Simple Greek, difficult theology. <laughs> you have to figure out what he's really saying with this simple Greek. But <clears throat> then you hit James, and as I'm becoming a new pastor and being more familiar with the with the the Bible and reading through it more, and I hit this verse: Consider it all joy when you encounter various trials, and you're going. Is this really in here? Why do you consider it all joy when you encounter various trials? Knowing the testing of your faith produces endurance. There's a purpose in it. God permits it. And if you read more about testing, you find out he won't test you beyond what you're able. And really, what are you able to do? Paul said, I can do all things through him and strengthens me. So you can do this, but not of your own strength. You're going to need the power of the Holy Spirit to, to do this. And it produces endurance, perseverance. This is James writing. And what are we reading in Peter? We're going to see about the word perseverance. See, these are virtues. These are qualities that we want to hang in there. Not just pass the test once. Have you ever passed the test and thought, okay, God, I got this one right, so you don't need to test me on this again? <clears throat> OSU could have used a few more, little more testing last week as they prepared for uh, their game with K-State. That's what could have happened. But they obviously didn't get tested enough. They didn't get, uh, uh, they didn't produce the endurance that they needed. But in this battle of the Christian life against the forces of evil not against flesh and blood we need endurance because it will wear us out have you ever noticed evil never sleeps it never sleeps even when we're asleep it's at work in other places around the world that's what it does it says and let endurance have its perfect result <clears throat> when you keep on hanging on Perfect is mature. Let it have its mature result, result. And that means you'll be mature and complete, lacking in nothing. Our patience, our faith is going to be tested. So when it comes our way, and this kind of connects into the to, the to the next hour, when we face these various tests, we're going to have some emotions about them. Good or bad, pleasant or unpleasant. But the question is whether or not they're constructive or destructive. 
What are they going to do? Are they going to build us? See, he's talking here, testing (laughs) seldom (coughs) produces a good emotion initially. Very seldom does it do that. But what does testing often do? It gives us the opportunity to grow up. And part of growing up deals with our emotions and our emotional balance and how we how we do things. When we look at the Lord Jesus, do you think he uh, was impervious to testing? Hmm. What about when all of his disciples left except a few? Do you think, oh, yes, this is so good? No, he embraced it. Are you going to leave too, Peter? That's what he asked. Are you going to leave too? He embraced it. Okay, but then he processed it. He's pure humanity. He's true humanity. He went through. We have a high priest who can sympathize with our weaknesses. Where are most of our weaknesses found? In our emotional outlets. That's where most of them are found. And he said, we have a high priest that understands that. And he's passed through the heavenlies, taking his seat at the right hand of God. So we have an advocate with the Father. So our faith is going to be tested. And if we start looking at it differently, it will help these feelings become constructive rather than destructive. Only by faith can we correctly fight the battles of life. Only by faith can we correctly fight the battles of life. Now, we're in the battle. Some people try to opt out of the battle, the spiritual battle. You cannot opt out of a spiritual battle. We are in it. That's the fact of the matter. We have a great cloud of witnesses surrounding us. Hebrews chapter 12. And he said, we're in the middle of an arena. And in this arena is a battle going on. We have this great cloud of witnesses surrounding us. 1 Timothy 6.12 says, fight the good fight of faith. Of faith. Take hold of the eternal life to which you were called. See... (laughs) What does that mean? Take hold of the eternal life to which you were called. Let's see. If you know where you're going to spend eternity, and these things are written to you that you might know, that you believe in the Lord Jesus, that you might know you have eternal life, how do you take hold of it? I think it's called courage. You have the courage to live life. You have the courage to deal with the spiritual battles. You have the courage to deal with the disappointments, the, the, the appreciations, the, the victories, the defeats. You have courage to approach life. Fight it. Take hold of the eternal life to which you were called, and you made the good confession in the presence of many witnesses. That's who he's writing to Timothy. Only by faith can we correctly fight the battles of this life. And faith is our defense in the day of battle. <clears throat> Are they coming to get us? It was an old song out in the 60s. I know some of you will remember it. They're coming to take me away. <laughs> it was a hilarious song. Still is today. Yeah, Mike could probably sing the whole thing for us here, but we'll save that for break or something. But they're coming to take me away. Ha, 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 ha. <laughs> we we're thinking, <clears throat> now it seems like they are coming to try and take us away. Especially these crazy Christians that actually believe in an unseen God 
and think that one day he's going to come back and rectify all the wrongs. These, we're, we are viewed as people now, Christians are viewed as people who are mentally ill. We truly are. We are viewed as people who are mentally ill. See, they get to make the definitions of that. Mental illness is when body and soul aren't working together. They're not, they're not working. It's a very simple definition. They're not really working together like they should be working together. And sometimes we see things that should produce a pleasant emotion in us, and they don't produce a pleasant emotion in us. And other things which <clears throat> should produce a distressing emotion, they don't produce a distressing emotion. But somehow we as Christians, and it, even politicians have said this, because they're trying to take firearms out of the hands of the mentally ill. I wrote Tom Coburn about this, not back before he died when he was a Senator Coburn and they were trying to do something with the gun laws and I said, what are you going to do when your old cronies in there decide that um, they can redefine mental illness to include Christians because they have indeed already started to try. And he wrote me back. I'll give this about him. Every time I wrote him, I got, a, got an answer from him and not some form letter. It was really nice to get an answer, and he said, and I know it was already most of it written out, but still, it was a personal answer. And he wrote back, and, and he said, basically, I don't think they would ever do that. And I wrote him back and said, I beg to dis that time he didn't answer me back. I said, I beg to disagree with you, because they've already started to do such things. But faith is what is our real defense. Don't put your faith in the strongholds of man. He, didn't he warn the Jews, don't put your faith in walled cities or in your implements of war. Patton said that a walled city was, was a tribute to the stupidity of man because it couldn't move and get out of the way. Now, we stay moving. Fight by faith in the day of battle. Faith is where godly good works begin it's the measure of a model church. Godly good works start with faith. What does God want me to do? <clears throat> I have faith that he wants me to encourage other people. I need to try to get this voice. <clears throat> I have faith <clears throat> that for encouraging one another, forgiving one another, Bearing one another's burdens. <clears throat> I have faith that that's the right thing to do. Because his word has told me that's what he wants me to do. He wants me to serve. He wants me to love other people. Even when they're unlovable. That's what he wants me to do. So that is called a work of faith. See? It's not negating faith. But it says, constantly bearing in mind, when Paul writes the Thessalonian church and commends them on being a model church, he says, constantly bearing in mind your work of faith and your labor of love. So love is not an emotion as much as it is an action. See what the devil's done? He's tried to turn love into purely an emotion. And it's not. We track this back all the way back in... 
<clears throat> after we got out of seminary, a bunch of us graduates decided we we're going to track love through the Bible, and it's used. Uh, agapao is used over a hundred times. Agape is used over. It's used a lot. So when you start tracking it through the Bible, you find out how much it's used. And <clears throat> I think it was Dan Hardy said it's used. One of them's used 120 times. 116 times it specifies an action. Isn't that interesting? So it's not really an emotion. The eros love, that word for love, is not even found in the New Testament. It's between agape, which is doing what is right and best even when you don't feel like it. One of the best definitions I've heard. Phileo is a word for friendship type of love that is used. So he says, your labor of love and your steadfastness of hope. Steadfastness is patience. Your patience of hope. See, hope, <laughs> if you got real hope, uh, it's, it doesn't have to be patient. Doesn't that go along with it? We got hope one of, the, one of these days the Lord's going to come back. We have a real hope that we're going to be in eternity with Him. But hope in the, in the Greek is not wishful thinking. It's confident expectation. These things are written that you might know you have eternal life. Faith is an evangelistic tool. Faith is an evangelistic tool. <clears throat> From 1 Thessalonians 1, verses 6 to 8. Now, 3 to 5, we just read that. Faith, hope, and love. And then it says, You also became imitators of us and of the Lord, having received the word in much tribulation with the joy of the Holy Spirit. So when they heard at Thessalonica, he went into a, the synagogue for three Sabbaths, and then he got ran out of town. But on three Sabbaths, he was able to establish the church there at Thessalonica. And he said, how did you hear it in the middle of tribulation? Because he got people that were in the synagogue, and he, that's where the church started, from amongst the Jews. And when you heard Messiah had come, because what's the gospel to Jews? Messiah's here. When you heard it, you received it with much joy of the Holy Spirit. And you became an example to all the believers in Macedonia and Achaia. They touched two states, the one in which they lived and the one next door to them. For the word of the Lord has sounded forth from you, <coughs> not only in Macedonia and Achaia, but in every place your faith toward God has gone forth. So we don't have any need to say anything. So what has happened to that little church in Thessalonica? They became believers. They became strong believers. They became believers in the middle of persecution. And the word got out. It was an evangelistic tool. What, was, what were people saying about the church in Thessalonica? Their faith toward God had really echoed forth is the word that's used. Beautiful word that's used there. It just wasn't one blast of a trumpet. It was the trumpet and the echoes that went on from, from that. Beautiful, beautiful word picture that is woven here by the Holy Spirit. Now what does that mean? <clears throat> In the midst of tribulation where they were, you have a stability in your life in the middle of the chaos. You think that's a witness? 
to people that don't have that stability? It indeed is. And it's a witness to unbelievers. You know, the unbel- unbelievers, I've heard so many stories about, oh yeah, that's that weird neighbor down the street that sings praise to Jesus, hums amazing grace while they're out in their yard. Crazy people, you know. And then when their life goes into chaos, who do they look for? They look for somebody that maybe has some stability to be able to give them some real guidance and wisdom along the way. So your faith, (coughs) keeping it up, is an evangelistic tool to reach out to other people. And our faith should be an example to others. We just saw that in Thessalonica in the passage in in (coughs) 1 Thessalonians. But in 1 Timothy 4.12, Let no one look down on your youthfulness, (coughs) but rather in speech, conduct, love, faith, and purity. Show yourself as an example of those who believe. Paul's writing Timothy. He's a young man. He says, don't look anybody, let anybody look down on you. Uh, we actually had, this was a uh, uh, Bible verse for the back of a t-shirt at one of our summer camps a long time ago. And we didn't proof, we didn't proof it like we should have proofed it. And so the, the, we, got the, uh, we got the t-shirts, of course, two days before camp started. Too late to make any difference about them. And it says, let no one look down on your youthfulness. Good for a youth camp. okay? But rather in speech, conduct, faith, and purity, show yourself an example of those who believe. Guess what was left out? Love was left out. So we thought, well, what are we going to do with this? You know, what are we, how are we going to do this? And so what we told the kids was, Look the verse up. Tell us what's left out. Well, about 10 seconds later, love is left out. Love is left out. Okay? So our, our argument was, you have to supply it. Okay? It's left out of the verse. But you're the one that needs to display it. And you're the one that needs to express it. Show yourself to be an example to others. This, this goes to our kids. This goes to our kids. Parents... Walk by faith, then and they they catch more things than they're taught. And they see you walking by faith, truly walking by faith, it's going to impact them more than anything else. Now <clears throat> it says again in the verse, for this very reason also, having added all diligence in your faith, abundantly supply the virtue. So we've got the diligence, we want to do it. We want to get it done, we want to get it done as quickly as possible. In our faith, that's where we start out in this sphere, okay, of faith, abundantly supply the virtue. We've already been through this particular word. And um, in the sphere of our faith, and that's, that's our next point, we should add virtue to it. Now, I find that interesting because uh, when I first started studying the word, I'd have put knowledge up there. But notice this is in front of knowledge. In the sphere of. He's saying there's certain things that even babies ought to be able to supply. Because there's certain things that they know to be true. Now, what is virtue? (coughs) 
Virtue is conformity to a standard of right. It's known as morality. Most people say right standard, right actions. At one point in history, this was a virtue was very high on the list of character qualities. Now, Aristotle, interestingly enough, a lot of people have had a lot of things to say about virtue. He says, virtue is more clearly shown in the performance of fine actions than in the non-performance of base ones. That was Aristotle. Thomas Paine said, virtue is not hereditary. Interesting. Jews thought it was. They thought a lot of things were hereditary, and they weren't. Oliver Goldsmith said, the virtue that requires to be ever guarded is scarcely worth the sentinel. Is virtue so much a part of us? We have our senses trained to discern good and evil. Hebrews 5.12. It requires a a training. And that means we're going to go through testing in order to have the the training. D.S. Jordan says wisdom is knowing what to do next. But virtue is doing it. Pretty good insights into what virtue is about. And you'll notice that virtue rises above all laws because they conform to the law of God. Now, so this law of God, virtue, do we know what it is inherently? Well, what does the Bible have to say about it? First of all, God sets the standard of virtue. <clears throat> Second Peter chapter 1, verse 3, seeing that his divine power, see these are our verses, our context, has granted to us everything pertaining to life and godliness through the true knowledge of him who called us by his own glory and virtue. The word excellence in New American Standard is our word for virtue. God has virtue. Are we made in the image of God? Yes. Do you think maybe some of that came with it? That's what it appears We'll keep reading, but God sets the standard of virtue because he is virtue. You can almost turn this into a one of the qualities of God and the characteristics of God, but it would come out of his a combination of his, his omniscience, his immutability, his righteousness, his justice. It would be a combination of a lot of those things. <clears throat> Some have called it the character of God, the integrity of God, and that is, that is a, a good description. He places his basic standards inside of all of mankind. So they become a matter of conscience. People have a, have a sense of right and wrong inherently within them. It's part of the moral argument uh, for the existence of God. Very clearly stated. People know there's a right and a wrong. <clears throat> and even little kids that take something from another little kid know what they're doing is not right. Where do they know that from? They inherently know, we inherently know there's some things. So if we read the Bible, we keep getting more answers to these things, right? It says, when the Gentiles do, who do not have the law do instinctively the things of the law. These, not having the law, are law to themselves, in that they show the work of the law written in their hearts. Their conscience bearing witness, and their thoughts alternately accusing or else defending them. <clears throat> have all sinned and fallen short of the glory of God. Yes, we know that. Why? Romans 3.23. Okay, we've got that in our Bible. We're ready to 
pull our Bibles out and hit somebody with a Bible bullet, take a shot at them, all have sinned and fallen short of the glory of God. One of my arguments is you don't really have to prove to people they're a sinner because they know it already. They already know what God has written in their heart and their things that are right and wrong. <clears throat> have you ever done anything wrong? Might be a good lead-in question. Yeah. Have you ever done anything wrong? Because everybody knows they have. Somewhere along the line, if you know you've done things wrong, you better figure out a way to save yourself, which is all the world religions, or find a Savior. There's only one Savior that we know of that meets the requirements. So he places his basic standards inside of all mankind. What are they? I don't have a list of them. I can't get a list of them. But we basically know there is right and wrong that will transcend culture. It will transcend time frame, transcend dispensation. There are standards of right and wrong. And I believe because we're created in the image of God. And so we have that portion of us, no matter how tainted it might be, that has this concept of right and wrong. Virtue requires consistent, thoughtful consideration of its elements. Now, <clears throat> Philippians 4.8, turn there with me if you're not already there. Philippians 4.8 is a, is a beautiful passage. Does anybody know Philippians 4.12 and 13? Have you had it on your refrigerator? I've learned how to get along with a little. I've learned how to get along with a lot. Through Christ I can do all things. I can do all things through Christ who strengthens me. We, we know that passage. What are the verses that come up to that? We can do all things through Christ. If we got into 4, 6 and 7, be anxious for nothing. Be anxious for nothing. But 4, 8 says, Finally, brethren. Paul's drawing a conclusion out of what he's written in the book of Philippians. Whatever is true. Now he's going to list here some elements of virtue. Okay, whatever is true. So we want to find the truth. Whatever is honorable, that's the second virtue. Whatever is right, lines of the standards of righteousness. Whatever is pure, pure we had have to do a little bit of work on, but it basically is is ceremonially clean. We're not tainted by a series of legalistic actions that we think makes us pure or not. Whatever is pure means that it is that it is ceremonially clean. Whatever is lovely, there's a sense of beauty. Whatever is of good repute, of a good reputation, if there is any excellence is our word virtue. And there is, first class. And if anything worthy of praise, and there is, let your mind dwell on these things. Consistent, thoughtful, consideration of the elements. And this is stated in the form of a command. When we start running into things and our mind wanders off and we are involved in all kinds of uh, fantasy world type of stuff going on in our head. If, have you ever got trapped in a what if scenario? What if this happens? If I do this, what if? What if? What if? 
And we can absolutely enslave ourselves and drive ourselves nuts if we get trapped in these what-if scenarios. Why do we need the what-ifs when we know who's in charge? We can't fix them anyway. It says, let your mind dwell on them. So when we get trapped in the what-if scenarios, what about a good way to deal with something is say, I'm going to think about virtue. I'm going to think about whatever is right. I'm going to think about whatever is true. Whatever is honorable, how do I handle this situation in an honorable way? Whatever is right, is it lined up okay, with the righteousness of God? Whatever is pure, am I being negated by legalistic entrapments? Whatever is lovely, do I have really an appreciation of beauty? You'll notice sometimes people take something that's really beautiful and then they get destructive. Sometimes kids do that and start tearing it up for no apparent reason. Well, obviously, they're not thinking about virtue. Whatever is of good reputation, if there is virtue, then there is, and anything worthy of praise, and there is, let your mind dwell on these things. Constantly consider the elements of virtue. And from the blessings God has given us, we should proclaim his virtue. Everything he has given us for life and godliness, that's our book. Peter wrote about, in a sense, in 1 Peter 2.9, when he says, You are a chosen race. You are a royal priesthood. You are a holy nation. A people for God's own possession. That you might proclaim... See, we are these things already. Why? That we can proclaim the virtues of him who's called us out of darkness into his marvelous light. We're to talk about virtue. We need more Christians talking about virtue. We need fewer churches trying to, to say, well, this is really okay. Or those are archaic. Or those are old standards. They're no longer any good in a modern society and culture. That's what, sadly, a lot of the churches are, are saying. Rather than, this is what God says. Thus saith the Lord is the one that has all the power. And we need to find out what he has to say. And then it says, think about it. Let your mind dwell on these things. So in your faith, you're walking by faith, supply virtue. That's part of the training. Is it not? So we're able to discern good and evil. There's a training that goes in there to discern good and evil. And it's learning about virtue. How to do the right things. Think the right way. Say the right words. Let's pray. Thank you, Father, again for this day. For your love and mercy and grace. And all that you have poured out upon us in the beloved. Father, I pray we'll be able to remember these things. (laughs) But more than just being able to remember them. I pray that the Holy Spirit will tweak us every time. And we start to go in the wrong direction. And point us back in the right direction. We pray that we'll be able to live a life that will honor and glorify you. And Father, we also pray for the opportunity to be used of you to spread this marvelous message that called us out of the darkness into light to other people. Father, we ask this in Jesus' name. Amen.